Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. As I get into what is on my heart to share with you, I think it's true that an honest and a, an objective reading of Scripture and a deciphering of history establishes the unique relationship between the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel. And I referenced this last week this idea, this triunity that's there between the God of Israel, the people of Israel, and the land of Israel that's continually brought up in Scripture. We may not even notice it, but it's there in the Scripture. And I'm going to say it again, the God of Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel, united in somewhat of what we might call a triunity. And, you know, the land, the people, and the God of Israel are indivisible, even if the United Nations says the land should be divided, the land, the people, the God of Israel, indivisible. Even if the United States says or tries to divide the land, the people, and the God of Israel, it is indivisible. indivisible. It's what Scripture says. It's what God intended. And we find even as we read the Parshayot, the Torah portions, if you've been reading along, we're in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, and as we get to the end of the book of Leviticus, as we do in this week's uh, parashah, Behukotai, as we get to the end of Leviticus, even at the end of Leviticus, the final chapters, guess what we find there? We find reference to this triunity of the God of Israel, the people of Israel, and the land of Israel. It's all in the book of Leviticus. For example, Levit in Leviticus Chapter 25, verse 1, it says, By the bear Moshe, and the Lord spoke to Moses, Behar Sinai, on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, and it goes on from there, which I encourage you to read. Now, I read through that quickly, but hopefully you caught it, that it says the Lord, who is the God of Israel, then it speaks about the children of Israel, the people of Israel, and then it speaks about the land all within almost one breath, one statement in the book of Leviticus. And you might not think that you would find references to these three bound together in a book like Leviticus. When we think of Leviticus, if we're doing kind of a, you know, uh, what a word association with the book of Leviticus, I don't think any of us would probably say the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel. We'd probably say something like uh, many Torah, many different laws, or chukim, different statutes, or lots of rules, some type of 
association like that. But this verse, Leviticus 25, 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you. And later in the same chapter, in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 23, the Lord says, The land shall not be sold permanently. The land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. There it is again. The Lord speaking, he talks about the land, and he references the children of Israel. After all, it does say in Tehillim, Psalm 24, verse 1, a passage that I believe many here can quote right back to me. It says this, The earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness, the world, and those who dwell therein. I don't know, baby, uh, that covers just about everything. What do you think? <laughs> the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in. And we do much better in our lives if we recognize that we have been redeemed by a price. And we walk with the Lord as best as we're able to, trusting him for his empowerment by his ruach. That we would do justice, that we would love mercy, and what's the third part? that we would walk humbly with our God. Now, the Lord makes clear there's a special connection between himself and the land and the people of Israel. There's a special connection even this evening. Right now, it's almost evening in Israel. This evening at sundown at Motzei Shabbat is a national holiday in Israel. It's called Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, and it is quite a festivity. I have participated in it. One of the most memorable times that I've had in my years in Israel was participating in that particular celebration where we gathered outside of the old city walls and then we walked down the outside of the old city walls almost on a north trajectory we came to Sha'ar Damascus, we came to the Damascus Gate, then we walked right through the Muslim Quarter, right over to the Kotel Hama'ravi, the Western Wall, commonly called the Wailing Wall. And we just didn't walk, we had flags. I personally was wrapped in a huge Israeli flag, had pictures of it. And did you notice I said we went through the Muslim Quarter? you would not believe the feelings that were given towards us as we did that. And then we gathered outside of the western wall where people go to pray, and outside there's a, a big area where you can go to, and we sang and we danced and we had a great time. That's Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day. And it commemorates when Jerusalem came under Israeli rule all of Jerusalem. And you remember when that was? That was in the Six-Day War in June of 1967. Something happened there. Something changed there. And the Lord really cares not only about the land of Israel and the people of Israel, but let me extend this because Scripture is abundantly clear about it. The Lord cares for you. Regardless of what your background may be, he loves you and he cares for you. 
And I hope that never becomes a trite statement to us, that we, we were able to focus, that we're able to focus upon his desire to have a personal relationship with us. He's the one that calls us out of darkness. He's the one that provides salvation to our souls. He's the one that actually provides everything for us. After all, Tehillim, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, the, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all the people that dwell therein, they're the Lord's. So friends, please take a moment to think about your own relationship with the Lord. Not about your neighbor's. But take a moment to think about your own personal relationship with him. What is that relation like? Relationship like? What kind of personal relationship do you have with the Lord? It's abundantly clear from the word of God that he desires to have connection with us. We use the term relationship with us. And he's provided means for us to have relationship with him through the shed blood of Yeshua, who, that wall of separation caused by sinfulness, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wage of sin, death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord at this time? What is our relationship like? Are you his servant, or do you expect him to be your servant? Now, you might say, well, that's ludicrous. <laughs> I can tell you, my friends, there are many people that view God like that. God as their servant. God as their servant boy. But we're actually called to be his servants. Are you co-laboring with him for his kingdom? Are you seeking to strengthen his community, the Kehilah, the body of Mashiach? Or do you expect others to do all that? Do you want to just sit back and let others do the work? The vineyard's there, but you don't want to enter it. Are you managing your resources in a good, in a godly, in a proper way? Are you managing your resources with a God-first approach to what he provides for you? It tells us clearly in Tehillim, and particularly in Mishlei Shlomo and the Proverbs of Solomon, it tells us that we're to honor the Lord with the first fruit of all our increase, Proverbs chapter 3. Friends, these are important questions. Only you can really answer them. But they're important questions. Our relationship with the Lord, even as he seeks, he seeks out those who will come and worship him. He may be seeking out you today for a task that he has for you. He may have something for you that you're not willing to step into yet, but friends, be sure you don't neglect the voice of God to your life. Be sure you don't neglect the gifts that he's given to you. Be sure you become a wise steward of his manifold blessings that have been bestowed upon you through the sacrifice of Yeshua, Jesus, his holy son. Are you seeking him in your personal relationship? Are you interceding before him? Are you lifting your heart and your hands onto him as you relate to him and he responds to you? Or are you living a self-serving life? A self-pleasing life. A smug life that's centered really upon you 
and your feelings? And I know these are difficult questions. Frankly, as we continue to transpire into the end of age here, it's critical for us to have a right relationship with the Lord. Now, there's a character that I want to focus on in Scripture that we know very well, and I'm hoping and assuming that we are quite familiar with the passage that I'd like to share with you. The name of that character is Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. We know a lot about him. He did have a situation with Queen Jezebel. (laughs) It was a powerful situation after Eliyahu Elijah had saw the vanquishing of hundreds of prophets of Baal. It tells us that King Ahab, who was the husband of Jezebel, although one can question who wore the pants in that relationship, But Queen Jezebel hears through King Ahab, the text tells us, about what had happened with Elijah and the destruction of the prophets of Baal. And she's mad. She's angry. And she just about takes a vow to get him, to get Eliyahu Hanabi, to get Elijah. Elijah flees. He flees from Jezebel because Jezebel set out to destroy him. He flees. He goes with his servant, I believe, to Beersheba. He leaves his servant at Beersheba, and he goes farther south, down into the Sinai. Some say Mount Horeb. The text seems to say that. He flees from the presence of Jezebel. Jezebel does not know where he is. (laughs) But guess who does know where he is? Hashem, the Lord. And by the way, you cannot flee from God. Your best bet is to run into the arms of God with your life. To run towards him, not away from him. And I don't necessarily believe that Elijah was running from the Lord at all, but he was running from Jezebel. But God knew exactly where Elijah was, even if Jezebel didn't. Well, let's pick up the text now, if, you, if we can, in 1 Kings, Malachim Aleph, 1 Kings chapter 19. And for time's sake, we're going to pick it up at verse 9. So it's 1 Kings 19, verse 9. And here's what it says. You should be familiar with this narrative, and that will be helpful. It says, Elijah went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and Adonai said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes that's the word to us. What are you doing here? And I don't necessarily believe that anyone's doing this here, but if you're out at the club drinking and chasing debauchery, doing things you shouldn't, if you have any type of spiritual ears, you may hear the Spirit of God saying, What are you doing here? And instead of Elijah's name, it may be our name. What are you doing here? It's a curious question. Elijah was in a cave. The word of the Lord came to him, and Adonai said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, the Navi, can you say Navi? The Navi, the prophet that he was, Elijah said, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. The they would include, guess who? Jezebel and her, co- her cohorts. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Did you catch that? Broke the rocks to pieces, the New King James says. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice, a delicate, whispering voice. So it was when Eliyahu heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, as you might expect, verbatim basically repeats what he had said previously. And Elijah said in verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to Eliyahu, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, that's a key point that says he's going to arrive. He feels like he's going to be killed. It says when you arrive, God's telling him, you're going to get through this journey to the other side of where I'm telling you to go. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mecholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Friends, as Messianic believers, I think there are several important applications of this text that I'd like to bring to us. There are literally scores of applications from this text. But I want to offer three to us today. Three applications of this text that will be derived directly from this well-known passage, this well-known event in the life of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. For example, here's number one application. Elijah, though called of the Lord and empowered with the Lord's word, he had to reckon with his own humanity. Think about that for a moment. He's Eliyahu Hanavi is Elijah the prophet. But he was very human. Have you ever felt very human? How many you can say you've at times felt very human? I call it having clay feet. 
you realize you may, people may think you're a bronze, but you have clay feet. You're very human. And that's how scripture describes Eliyahu. In fact, that's one of the very things I love about the Tanakh and the Brit Chadashah. We get to see, can I use my term? We get to see some of the clay feet of some of the great people, the men and the women. And some of what they went through, the difficulties he's faced. And Elijah was one who went through many difficulties. This is just one example with Jezebel. Elijah had concerns. Have you ever had concerns? Maybe you're here today and you have a lot of concerns. Frankly, that's why I wanted to pray before I spoke. It says that we're to commit, cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. It says in First Kepha, Peter. But Elijah had concerns, quite a few. <laughs> he had what we might call nowadays apprehensions. He had an apprehension about Jezebel. He had fatigue. He was given special, um, how would I say, provision to be able to make that long journey. But the spirit is willing and sometimes the flesh is weak. How many of you have been through that? You're really wanting, but the flesh gets weak sometimes. And he possibly even had, it's a matter of debate, but he possibly even was struggling with fear. He's afraid. There is one text that seems to say that. He had clay feet. Elijah, the prophet, had to reckon with his own humanness, his own what I call humanity. And nowadays, Elijah ran to the cave and he sought God. God met him there. Nowadays, we deal with some of our humanity in some unusual ways, not necessarily good ways. For example, sometimes when we come to a struggle, and we're facing something, some of us turn to alcohol. And we start drinking and try to drown our sorrows away. Some turn to drugs, illegal drugs, and start taking those type of things. Others tap into pornography and start looking at pornography as a vicarious way of experiencing something. I've seen marriages destroyed by gambling run into the casinos, and some just can't wait to the weekend to go clubbing, I guess is how it's called, or, and some actually return to, vi turn to violence, taking it out on others, and then there are the other things that are done more secretly, like horoscopes. Some even have idols in their home. Remember years ago, our worship leaders in another congregation in another state our worship leader, the lady who led our worship, was married to a very uh, well-educated man who had an idol that he bowed to in their house. And it wreaked havoc on them. Actually, they are divorced now. She would lead worship and do a great job, but then she had this husband who didn't come with her who had an idol in their bedroom or wherever it was. And he wouldn't give it up. Finally, he did. But there was so, so much trouble between them over the years. They had been married a long time. But he literally was an idolater with an idol in the house and bowing to it. Now, most of us don't go that far. <laughs> but maybe we do have some idols in our life. Things we put before God would be a simple definition. 
And some turn to idolatry and there's troubles. Others have turned to tarot cards and to soothsaying and mediums and that type of thing. These are all, can I use the word, they're all verboten. They're forbidden. They're not right. They're impure. They're unclean. They're bad. What did Elijah do? Even in the face of a Jezebel, he fled to a place Actually, if it was Horeb, it makes a lot of sense. He fled to Mount Horeb, where he knew God had been there. And Elijah poured out his heart before the Lord, and he had a strong relationship with the Lord. Friends, that's what we need. A strong relationship with the Lord in this day and hour. And let me share one passage with you. It's from the book of James. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The next statement is, and he prayed earnestly. Friends, in your struggles, please don't bypass private prayer to the Lord. Be sure you take it to the Lord and let him intervene. So if you are struggling with something, try to change and become a person who prays about that and lifts that care to the Lord. There's much more to say about number one, but I want to go to number two. Second application, even Elijah didn't always see things correctly. If you're the type of person that thinks your viewpoint is the absolute bottom line, step back from that a little bit, please. Because even Eliyahu in this situation didn't really see what was going on. He was somewhat incorrect in his assessment and his viewpoint about his own people. He said twice, I am the only one left. I am alone. And Eliyahu didn't know all that God was doing because much of what God does begins in the place of our hearts. That's why it's important to love God. With all of your heart. And to give him that first place. And Elijah thought he was the only one. I am alone, he told God twice. Interestingly, the Lord didn't change his view the first time, and the second time is when he says that after that, God speaks to him and commissions him. We could say that Eliyahu didn't see the biggest picture, and the biggest picture that can be seen is the God view. What does God see? His view. Twice, let me remind you what Elijah told the Lord, twice, verbatim, exact same. He said, the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Twice he says that. And although likely Elijah came to that conclusion by his own circumstances, by his own perception, or what he saw in his life, or what he heard was going on around him, His sincere perception was not correct. God still had a remnant, a she'ar in Hebrew, she'arit Israel, a remnant of Israel. He still had a remnant of believers. He had a remnant. And in fact, God told Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 18, quoted in the book of Romans, yet I have reserved, notice the number, 7,000 in Israel. What a difference between God's number of 7,000 
in Eliyahu's number of he's the only one. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. And then God describes this 7,000, this Sha'ar, this remnant, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And notice this, every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, it's as if God is saying, Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 others that haven't spoken or acted in accord with the ways of Baal. 7,000. Frankly, Elijah, we can understand why he saw things from his own perspective. Yet, it was the prophet Samuel who told Yeshai, Jesse, David's father, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, this powerful statement. Just before Shmuel, Samuel the prophet, anointed David as king, Samuel told Jesse, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, for the Lord does not see as man sees. How many of you are glad for that? I am. Divine perspective is a treasure to us. If God allows you to see things, and may I say this, to see people in your life as he sees them, that can be a game changer to that circumstance and to that person. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Isn't that true, by the way? Man looks at the outward appearance. Say it with me. But the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that true? And sometimes we play that up the outward appearance and people may dress to get attention and all that. But putting all that aside, God sees what's going on in that person's heart. Frankly, I believe every person on the face of the earth is a candidate for Yeshua, for salvation. Please don't write anyone off because you really don't know what's going on in their hearts and you don't know what God's doing with them. I wonder if someone had written me off when I was young, not knowing the Lord, not knowing anything about the church for sure. Maybe someone wrote you off too. Please don't write anyone off. And let me repeat this verse again. It's such a gem. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Friends, anyone can spout off their own impressions. In fact, we tend to enjoy in our society opinion pieces. And sure, there is a place for that. But when it comes to the Besorah, the gospel, don't write anyone off. In fact, if you can, be faithful in presenting the good news to others because you just don't know what will happen. When I first was coming to the Lord, I had been accepted to, to a university, and I knew if I went to the university, I would completely fall away. So what did I do? Trabajo, avoda, work. <laughs> and I, I started working at the closest job I could find. And as I worked there, there was a gentleman that worked with me, tall, skinny guy with a long braid down the back of his head. Pot smoker, uh, all kinds of stuff. I won't go into it. 
And I was, quote, unquote, foolish enough to share the good news with him day in and day out. I couldn't believe what happened. I mean, I I was amazed. He gave his life to the Lord, brought his wife to the Lord, and his child to the Lord, and guess what else he did? He asked me to immerse him. (laughs) Tevila. I really didn't know how to go about it. The only thing I knew was there was water in the river near us, and let's go to the water in the river. So we did. He left his evil ways that he was doing, and he turned to the Lord, and I would have never guessed out of everybody I worked with that he was the one. And the same thing was repeated in Minneapolis just before Mary and I got married. I guess it's been 37 years ago. I'm working there in this particular company, and there's a similar type of person, kind of hippie guy, tall, skinny, dark hair, didn't really have a whole lot in common with him at the point, but I kept sharing with him about the gospel. You know what the rest of the story is. That was good ground in his heart, and he became a believer at that place through interaction. Friends, stop discriminating and start telling people the gospel, especially Jewish people, because our people are hungry to hear the gospel. They may not show it, but don't discriminate. Tell them the good news and pray that your perspective in life will be aligned with the vision of God, what God sees. You'll have God's perspective. Pray for that and pray that your words Your actions will be in line with what he wants of you. Pray for that. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, beginning with verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak what? Speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things, say it with me, God may be glorified through Messiah Yeshua. In all things. To whom belong the glory and dominion for how long? Forever and ever. Amen. In the Siddur, in the Jewish prayer book, there's this particular statement. It's actually from Tehillim, from Psalm 19, verse 14. It's repeated often in the prayer book. It's this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Friends, that's in the prayer book. It is a prayer. Can we say that together and recite it together? And let's mean it. Let's recite it together and let's really mean it. Let's say it together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. One final application. Application number three and then we'll conclude. And there are so many from 1 Kings chapter 19. But again, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Eliyahu, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. 
Also you shall anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, Elisha, the son of Shephat of Avomecholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Yehu, Elisha will kill. First of all, historically, we can read how this actually happened. What God told Elijah actually happened. You can follow it in Scripture, but that's another topic. You see, Elijah thought he was the only one, but God had other plans for him. And God kept working with him. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on you? You may run and try to get to some cave and be as far away and start doing your own thing, but God is still wooing you. He's calling you. Can you hear his still, small voice? And will you respond to his still, small voice? That is one of the great distinguishing factors among humanity. There are those who have come to know the true light of the world, Yeshua, and those who haven't. And our task, if you are a believer in him, is to let the others know, to shine the light, to let your light so shine, as Yeshua said, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. God kept working with Elijah, and he even used Elijah after the cave incident. He used Elijah to accomplish some very important actions that involved nations and kingdoms. God didn't cast off Eliyahu, even though Elijah's perception wasn't exactly right about his own circumstance. God sent Elijah, can I use the term? He sent Elijah back into the battle. Elijah had retreated. He sends him back to the front lines, actually farther than the front lines, all the way to Damascus. And God gave Elijah specific guidance. He gave him a unique anointing and a deeper understanding of the life around him, the circumstances around him, the kingdoms around him, the kings around him. The truth is that after some of our most trying times, please hear this if you don't hear anything else. Truth be told, after some of our most trying times, God brings some of the sweetest consolations to our life. It was American clergyman, very well known, although we don't quote him often, H.W. Beecher, who, he was born in 1813. He was an American clergyman. Here's what he said. He said, we are always in the forge or on the anvil. By trials, God is shaping us for higher things. And that was what happened with Eliyahu, Elijah. We are always in the forge or on the anvil. By trials, God is shaping us for higher things. And Scripture shows this to be true over and over again. Let me mention a couple examples briefly. For example, I guess maybe first on your list would be Job. First on my list, Job, Job. And Job, all that Job went through, it's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's, it's incredible what he went through. The text tells it's a long book, a difficult book, difficult book in the Hebrew language, difficult to parse and understand. But after it's all said and done and all that Job went through from physical trials, family trials, financial trials, social trials, everything he went through, 
Job 42 verse 14 says, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Friends, maybe you need to grasp that for your life. Instead of thinking, well, I'm getting older now, think in terms of greater service to the Lord. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then there was Yeshua and temptation in Midbar's uh, in the Midbar Yehuda. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, after the temptation, behold, malachim, angels, came and ministered to him. After 40 days of fasting, and he becomes hungry, and all that Satan throws at him, and Yeshua resists the devil, that's what we need to do. It says, then the devil left him, and behold, Malachim, the angels of God, came and ministered to him. And then in the same chapter in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, and Yeshua went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. What was he doing? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What are we preaching? He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. It was a well-known British orator, Charles Spurgeon. How many of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon? Hopefully you have. He once wrote this. Please listen. He wrote, quote, There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. Friends, if you're going through trials, persevere, go through, look to the reward that comes through faithfulness. And I can't leave without mentioning Kepha, Peter. <laughs> After Peter denied the Lord, thrice as it says in the King James, after he denied the Lord, and at one point he says, I do not know this man, he tells a commoner. I do not know this man, in reference to Yeshua. After that, this is the very person, Kepha, Peter, who we catch in Acts chapter 2 on Shavuot, which is coming up this week. At this very time of the year, it is Kepha that God uses, it's Peter that God uses. He didn't write Kepha off because of things he'd said and done. He received Kepha because Kepha repented and stepped forward with God. Will you do that? Will you step forward with God? In Acts chapter 2, we get this incredible message in Acts chapter 2 that we study to this day nearly 2,000 years later. And the result of that message were thousands of Jewish people came to know the Lord. And that was the very man not too long before, less than two months previously, had said of Yeshua, said, I do not know him, and denied him. And lastly, what about John, Yochanan? Not Yochanan Amatbil, John the Immerser, but John, the one who wrote the Besorah, the Gospel of John. Think about it. He was exiled to Patmos, this little speck of land in the Mediterranean. He was exiled. You think, the game's over. I'm exiled. There's no one around me. No, it was just the beginning of an incredible, incredible way that God used Yochanan, John. 
You see, it's there at the Isle of Patmos when he is exiled, seemingly out of the picture. God shows him what we now call the book of Revelation. It's called Revelation because God revealed to him. And how many of you have read the book of Revelation? <laughs> all right. Let me see. So, come on. Wear, wear it proudly. All right. And put your hands down. How many of you understand the book of Revelation? Uh, uh, okay. I've got to have to talk to a couple scholars here about that. <laughs> but the point is, John was in exile on Patmos. And God used him in a way that is still blessing us 2,000 years later. Do you think God can use you if you'll persevere in your trial and circumstance and press forward for the kingdom of God? Do you think God can use you? The answer is, can, yes. But will you? Are you willing? Aurelius Augustinus, some of us know him as St. Augustine or Augustine. He said this, quote, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Friends, to summarize here today, five main points I'd like you to get in conclusion. Number one, the land, the people, and the God of Israel are an inseparable triunity in Scripture. We see that with Elijah. We see that in, uh, in uh, Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus. Number two, God wants us to continue to develop our personal relationship with him. Number three, like Elijah, we must reckon with our humanity, our humanness. And number four, we need to see God's view of the people and circumstances that are part of our lives. How does God view these things? And make sure that's how we attempt to view these things. And number five, lastly, often when we persevere through trials, God leads us to deeper service for him. Are you willing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this day. For you are great. There are no ways like your ways. No wisdom like your wisdom. No redemption like your redemption. No salvation like your salvation. There's truly no one like unto you. And no deeds like your deeds. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. And I pray for each person hearing these words. That you, O oh Lord, will do a sovereign work. If it is a time of suffering and struggle, O oh Lord, that you give us a heart to persevere. If it's a time where we have misperceptions and we're misperceiving what's going on around us or misperceiving the intent of hearts of people around us, Lord, help us to step away from that and to seek from you your view of the people, the matter, the circumstance we face. Lord, if it's just that we don't really have a personal relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you open every heart to know you is to know life because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord. We lift up Israel to you at this time. We pray for Jordan and his travels and the group that's with him with the IMJA. We also lift up our friend Mark Dion. 
and pray that you'll help him through this health struggle he's happening that's happening with him. And Lord, thank you for doing exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything we ask of you according to the power of your Holy Spirit that works within us. We ask these things in the name of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.